Welcome to the Thinnest Veil Podcast, a place where we talk about spirituality, ceremony, religion, and connection. This is a podcast where we explore storytelling, the big mother's Mary and Mother Earth, social justice Jesus, magic, sermonizing, intuition, and so much more. I am your host, Dr. Melissa Bird, a clairvoyant lay preaching Christian witch with a penchant for fast cars and living in infinite potential. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome everybody back to the podcast. I am so excited because I have a very special treat for everybody today. I am thrilled to be uh, bringing you uh, my new friend, (laughs) Jason Jones. Um, He and I met because I am the co-chair of an international sexuality and social work conference. And Jason is going to be one of our keynote speakers. And I am so excited to have him with me today. I am thrilled to be talking to you all about um, LGBT life and spirituality, because as a bisexual woman, um, I really struggled with religion my entire life and, um, and spirituality. And no one is more surprised than me that I have ended up on a pulpit with the Episcopal Church. And part of that has to do with my being a not straight human. And so I'm really, really excited to be bringing you Jason uh, Jones to talk with us today. Um, Jason, would you introduce yourself and tell my audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Great. Thank you so much, Melissa. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Jason Jones, and I am an LGBTQ plus human rights activist from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I uh, am most probably well known for bringing a landmark legal challenge against the laws that discriminate against LGBT people in Trinidad and Tobago. Like the majority of former colonies of Britain, we were left with the British colonial era buggery laws, which criminalized adult same-sex intimacy, um, consensual intimacy. Um, these, These heinous laws were spread across three quarters of the planet throughout the British Empire. And out of the 54 member states of the Commonwealth, over 50% of, of those states still have these laws. Um, what people need to know is that the first ever anti-gay legislation in the world was created by Henry VIII in 1533. So Britain has a strong hand in creating homophobia and spreading it across the world, not just through its empire, but through the Anglican Church, which again was created by Henry VIII. So, you know, the links between um, homophobia and the church, you know, date back many centuries. And, you know, growing up in the Caribbean as a mixed race, uh, middle class person, um, my family were deeply Catholic. My grandmother, um, a beautiful black woman, used to play the organ in the in the Catholic churches and the cathedrals. Um, and my father was a deacon in the Catholic church. Um, I grew up singing in the choir in church. I And uh, when I realized that I was queer, um, in my early teens, I then even thought about 
becoming a priest because in middle-class black families, that's what queer people did. You join the nunnery or you join the priesthood. Um, and it's, you know, that tradition of queer people going into uh, the, the practice of religion dates back thousands of years. We've always been the shamen, the preachers, you know, the people that give succor. So, you know, there, there's a very strong link between our queerness and our spirituality. And unfortunately, it's been demonized for the purposes of colonialism and the enslavement of people. So I hope we discuss more on that. Yes, I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up actually, because part of the reason I really wanted to have this conversation is because, um, you know, I grew up in Utah um, and, and which is a very uh, heavily, conservative LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of the LDS, Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as Mormons. I grew up there and um, I grew up there really watching the LGBTQ community just shove away religion. Like it was, it was, it wasn't just, I've been harmed by the church, so I don't want to be a part of the church it was i've been harmed by the church so badly that that nothing god doesn't exist spirituality doesn't exist none of this exists i'm not connected to any higher anything higher than me um which i think as i watched people and i watched myself in my own experience it caused me great spiritual harm and it really pulled me away from my connectedness to call it universe, call it spirit, call it God, call it whatever you call it. It, it caused me spiritual duress. And I, I love this connection between white supremacy, white supremacy, conservative, um, the enslavement of people. And because that's, of course, what happened to my tribe in Utah was they were involved with one of the worst slaughters in Utah history. And because they were used that way by the church. And so would you touch a little bit on how you have experienced that pulling away from God um, and how you think it has caused us as a community um, harm. Well, I mean, I think the most recent shocking statement coming from the Pope at the Vatican last week stating that um, it's not a crime to be gay, but it's a sin. You know, it's just like, you know, what? how can you create so much hatred in one tiny sentence? And, you know, that how you saw queer people respond to that statement is indicative of the disassociation that we have. And that disassociation, you know, dates back, you know, hundreds of years. And uh, as I mentioned, be begins with um, Henry VIII in 1533. Um, and also, you know, I think, I think you have to also understand for the queer community in terms of finding our space in the world, having to go through uh, these heinous crimes against our humanity that date back to slavery. I mean, one of the things that I always try to, to 
find clarity on is this idea of the enslavement of people and how within that enslavement you had the um the subjugation of queerness so you know it wasn't just white europeans taking away and robbing black people of their culture they they robbed us of our queerness as well and that that historical queerness of indigenous populations has been eradicated by by european settlers so it you know for for you in in in, in north america you know we are very clear about the multiple genders that Native American people uh, understood the fact that queerness found space in Native American culture and Native American society, and that was subjugated by the European settlers. And that has happened wherever Europe settled and wherever they enslaved people. First thing they did was robbed us of our sexual orientations and, and gender identities, which were multifaceted. If you look at uh, the Hindu population, you know, there are multiple Hindu gods that represent uh, different gender identities. Um, and even now, India is one of the few countries that recognize a third gender, the hijra. And, you know, these are, these are all things that we see repeated across the globe. So why is it that only Europe, Europe is the only place on earth where these are being subjugated and being fought against. And I mean, you, you see the fight right now in Europe and it's now spreading to North America against trans people. Um, you know, trans people have existed for centuries. You know, they are, they are shown across a multiple uh, uh, cultural references from religious references, religious iconography in, in Hindu religion, Muslims, you know, it, it, it just boggles the mind how easily these historical facts were erased by European settlement. Um, and then you have to question, why would you do that? And the thing that I always make very clear to people is, you know, if you look at the enslavement, particularly of African people in the New World, this, the child of a slave became your slave. So for a slave owner, you would encourage the birth of children because these children would then keep your slave population building. Yeah. What do you do with a queer slave then? Yeah. This is, this is the crux of the matter. What do I do with a queer slave who's not making me more children? What I do is I punish them and I punish them very violently, murder them, so that people are afraid to be queer. I want you to keep making me new slaves. Right. And this is also replicated within churches as well. If, if you're not procreating, you're not creating new Catholics, you're not creating new, new, new Hindus, you're not creating new Muslims. So also we see the same thing happening within the churches, where if you're queer, you're not making me new believers. So this subjugation of queer people has been purely about monetizing bodies. Mm. Say it. <laughs> like, I think that this, um, I and this is where I find the conversation about re religion and spirituality so fascinating. Because I think here, particularly in the United States and among the people that I work with, one of the things I do in my job is I help people heal the church. I call it the church wound. I help people who have been harmed physically, emotionally, and spiritually by evangelical Christianity in particular, but other conservative religions as well. I help them bridge that healing between their spirit and 
spirituality. I help them connect to a higher power. Um, I help, I help women who consider themselves to be witches to learn how to be witches, right? Like I help them tap into their magic and their power and their intuition. Yes. And one of the things I've noticed over and over again that I think you are just so astutely touching on is that it is particularly for LGBT folks, it's almost in our DNA from generations of trauma to pull as far away as we can from the God that we are told is a punishing, menacing God. And my experience of God is the exact opposite of that God. The God that I know made me this way, like put me here on this planet at this moment in this time to have me be this bright beacon of light and healing and magic and connection. And it, I really, I really wonder if we've got to change the conversation, Jason, from just focusing on this white supremacy as, um, it feels almost like we focus on it as a, oh, what am I trying to say? As like a thing, like a, a construct, right? Yes. And start, what we're missing is the conversation about spirituality and connection to God, to, to not this mean, malevolent, awful God who's here to punish our sins, but, but this beautiful light yes. thing. That connects yeah. us to the earth, by the way. I want to get into that in a minute. But what are, you, what are your thoughts about... Oh, that's where we're going. <laughs> um, uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, well, the first thing I should clarify for the listeners is that I, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't have that connection to spirituality as there being something all powerful and you know that that there's 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 something that i think i think all of us are gods in our own way and that our spirituality is is from within not without and um for me you know growing up in a deeply catholic family in trinidad um you know in church every sunday singing in the choir you know it it was it was unquestionable to to not believe that you know, this was what spirituality looked like. It 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 it's just what it was for for the majority of us. Um, and then, as my as I as I became more aware of my queerness, that's also when I started to question this idea of a patriarchal godlike figure floating up in the heavens. And um, that questioning, I think, is where you're talking about where the bridge it gets broken down between your queerness and your spirituality. Um, I then spent a lot of my my late 30s, you know, re-examining spirituality and, um, you know, examining other religions. You know, I spent time in Bali. I spent time um, meditating. I looked at Buddhism. You know, I I really investigated a lot of the other religions to see if there was resonance for me in another religion rather than this uh, very patriarchal white Catholicism that we had shoved down our throats as um, former enslaved people in the Caribbean. Um, And what I found, (coughs) which was very revealing, (coughs) was that all of them were the same thing. Mm 
they yes. all wear, <laughs> they all wear the same thing, just uh, dressed up in different clothing. Yeah. So you know, there I was on a mountainside in Bali, you know, doing doing my my chanting, and then I realized, oh wait a minute, this is when the Catholic priest would say, go and say, you know, a hundred hail Marys and a hundred our fathers. That 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 monotone chanting which you see prevalent in a lot of religions is not about the words. It's about sound and it's about getting into a space where you can clear all the noise and clear the mind and find space in that peacefulness. And um, I then thought, well, okay, it's all the same stuff. Um, so what am I going to take away from all of this? And what I've been able to take away is, well, number one, um, I am stuck with Catholicism, Catholicism, you know, it's just in my DNA. And uh, I started going back to church, not from a sense of, of, you know, being involved with what's happening up on the, uh, up on the, up on the altar. I go in there and two things happen. Number one, once you walk into that building, that building is designed to cosset you away from the noise and the, the, the stuff that urban life brings you. So as soon as you walk through the door, you switch into a different mode. And then what I find myself doing during, I, I don't go to service a lot, I go on my own, but you know, if I am there for the service, what I find my, my mind being able to do is to find the silence and the inner peace. So whatever's happening up on the altar means nothing to me. I don't go up for communion, I don't do engage in any way with what's happening up at the altar. But I do find that it is a good space for me to meditate. And let me tell you, it's free, <laughs> you know? And in London, you know, getting some free therapy. <laughs> so I use it as my little free meditating space. And uh, it works very well for me in that, in that way. Um, and it also feeds uh, my, my my spirituality in a sense I have a space and a time where I can engage with my own personal spirituality so you know I just said you know stick with that but um you know well, I have a because it's what's resonant right like the thing that the thing I love about the the building of church is we actually literally call it a sanctuary like it right. is a it is the sanctuary right it's, exactly and I I feel like and and I am in a very inclusive church right like we everybody is welcome to take communion and right. um and and mostly everybody does and um and it's been a very fascinating process to me to even understand communion particularly growing up um in such a heavily dominant mormon culture right yes. that they don't do communion they like <laughs> the opposite of that and so right. um it, it's a really interesting the feeling I had when I first walked into church, I was terrified to go to church. Like I thought I was going to get caught on fire, like literally like hellfire and brimstone was going to rain down and I was going to like ignite a fire, right? Like I was like, I can't do that. I was terrified to go to church. And what happened was I sat there every Sunday and sobbed. And I'm not talking like I was weeping a little bit, like, oh, I'm super touched. Like I was like cracked so wide open. And I think what you're talking about is some of that like the quietness and the 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 for me some of it is the ritual of it i love the ritual of the singing and the the prayers and the rhythm of it yes, yes. Um, 
And I think that's what you're talking about is this idea that chanting isn't about words. It's about the, the tenor of what we're doing, the, yes. the mm of yes. it. Right. Yes. And I, I think for so many people, they're terrified to even be willing to wonder what it would feel like to just enter into the tenor of that chanting. I mean, we do it in, in, in our spells. I always tell people praying is spelling and spelling is praying. Like we are constantly casting spells that we want when we engage in prayer. And we're constantly engaging in prayer when we cast spells because there's a tenor to it. And yes. so what you're talking about is this commonality of practice mm. that goes across culture yes. and across religion and across pagan practices. It There's that rhythm to yeah. the ceremony. Absolutely. That I think we miss in the LGBTQ community so much. I talk often about how we are the land. We are connected to this earth. We are naturally occurring things on this planet. Yes. And in that we are meant to be inherently imperfect because yeah. the planet is imperfect. Like I often talk to people about how you wouldn't go up to your most favorite mountain and say, oh my God, you are such a beautiful mountain. Thank you so much for being here. But could you move a little to the left? Cause my view isn't exactly perfect right now. <laughs> or you know, could you shrink yourself a little bit, big, gigantic, beautiful mountain, because you're just, you're too splendid. You're too yeah. magnificent. You're too audacious, right? We would never speak like that to the things that happen in nature. But yes. we talk to ourselves like that all the time. Yep. Even though we are the birds and the plants and the rivers and the mountains and the trees, we are all of these things. We are the earth. We are of the planet. Yes. And I wonder if in your experience and your your this this searching for spirituality and in your connection to spirituality if you've ever thought about this idea that part of the reason we criticize each other so much particularly in the lgbt community like for all of my friends who are not a part of this community i cannot even tell you how much it hurts my heart that we are so critical of ourselves just so critical of ourselves and i'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that well, you know, I, I think when you are a community that's literally under attack, I mean, daily, I mean, this is, <laughs> I don't think people understand the daily aggressions that queer people face as soon as they walk out of their front door. But, you know, you don't even have to walk out of your front door. You get it on the radio, you get it on the television, you know, you get it in your newspaper. Um, you know, you get it from your neighbors, <laughs> you know, it's a... Uh, constant attack on on the very core of who you are and because you live your life on those tenter hooks of you know am i walking too queerly am i speaking effeminately you know how how is the greengrocer going to accept my request for a pound of grapes you know all of those things are constantly in your head so you are highly critical of your own personal existence and that then of course gets mirrored within your immediate community so you know you like for example when i brought my decriminalization case in trinidad and tobago i was attacked i mean really attacked by the queer community in trinidad and the general consensus is sit down you're rocking the boat why are you doing this why are you drawing attention to us you know yeah. and um it was 
of course, you know, for people who are not queer to see that attack on me, and I, this, these were very public attacks, you know, I mean, it was leaders of LGBT organizations in Trinidad writing to LGBT organizations internationally to say, do not support my case. So I've had to do this entire case independently. I've had absolutely no support from any LGBT organization on the face of this earth. I've done it completely on my own. I pay all of the bills on my own. I do all of the work on my own. So, you know, this, this internal strife is just reflective of the external strife. It's that external homophobia, that external transphobia, that we get these microaggressions constantly, you know, from within the family, from within the home, you know, it starts there. And as soon as you step out into the street, I mean, I, for a long time, I'm six foot four. And throughout most of my teenage years, as I, as I grew taller, I used to hunch over you know, and it literally manifested in that physicality of hunching over, trying to make myself small because I was a tall, lanky, effeminate young kid, you know, and um, it manifests itself in these physicalities. So how we start to address that as a community, um, you know, I think one of the biggest, biggest failures of the, of the gay rights movement since Stonewall in 69 was this lack of community work. We are always focused on them. We're always focused on the fight outwards. We don't do the fight inwards. So for example, after the Stonewall riots, which, you know, you know, two of the main leaders, two of the main voices at those riots in New York City were two trans, well, two women living a trans experience, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. And one was Hispanic, one was a woman of color. Now, three years later, you can find us on YouTube, three years later at uh, the Gay Pride um, uh, March and Festival in New York City in 1973, I think it's 73, it's either 72 or 73, but you can find this video on YouTube. Sylvia Rivera got up to speak about trans rights and about trans people being persecuted by the police, et cetera. And she got booed off the stage. Yes, yes, I've seen that video. Yes, for any of you, I will go try and find it and link it in the show notes. It it's is, horrific. yes, it's horrific. And this is, this is one of the things I think, I really hope that, that people who are listening to this can also understand the complexities of this, this transphobia that is rising at, at such a, a just furious rate yes. is, is, is prevalent yes. in the LGBT yes. community. Yeah. And I mean, that video is, is so indicative of the racism, the transphobia, the, the, the um, phobia against sex workers. You know, how, how we as a community could be so phobic against sex work when everybody, I mean, the very basis of who our identity is, is about our sexuality. Yep. But then you are judgmental against sex work. I mean, what the hell is going on? It, the cognitive dissonance is mind blowing. It is. Absolutely mind blowing. It is, and it it and I this cognitive dissonance. I think it goes back to this this separation of spirituality and connection to soul and to spirit. Yes, I think Megan Watterson is one of my most favorite writers. She she wrote a book called Ma Mary Magdalene Revealed, which is one of the most incredible. It's Mary Magdalene's gospel that was removed from the Bible, 
Right. And so, um, and she talks about how the body, the sole purpose of the body is to give the soul a human experience. That's why we're here. We yes. have a body that has a soul and the soul is here to have this human experience, which actually goes back to something you said at the very beginning, that God is within us. God is not external to us, that right. we are. And this is part of where I really connect with my, my pagan and my Celtic and my Paiute background. Like we are the, this creation of earth and in, in native culture, creator, creator created this, all of this, there's all these beautiful creation stories. Right. And yes. we are here to give the soul this human experience. And when we deny that we have a soul because we've been persecuted for so long and we're busy persecuting ourselves. Like I, I talk about how I'm bisexual all the time because you know, there's all these jokes in the gay community about buy now, gay later, like, you know, all of those things talk about being invisible. Like we don't even give voice to bisexual people at all as a community. It's hard enough to do it in the straight community, but to really, to be this person in the LGBT community is very, it's frustrating. It's, it's, it's awful. And, and it makes me wonder if this self-persecution, this self-hatred and this loathing against the the categories of people that we've been squished into together is is partly because we deny that the soul is here to have this human experience. Well, I mean, that is the conundrum um, because <laughs> I totally agree with you about the that that soul journey um, to to walk the earth. But I think one of the keys of having that journey is that you forget where the soul came from that's 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 the thing that unlocks the journey you can't have the journey and have you know your cake and eat it remember where you came from (laughs) so so that's that's a difficult one because we are we come down here forgetting everything so that the journey is unencumbered and you know it's kind of like it's kind of like playing monopoly and knowing what the end of the game will be you know it's like why bother playing you know so have to forget where where the soul has come from you have to forget what that experience is so it is part of the whole game and you know I do look at people much more kindly now that I've accepted that you know so people who I know are not living fully their full lives not giving themselves freedom you know for example like sexual expression you know people who don't enjoy sex i just think my god what what are you doing here for you know that's such a magical uh, moment of spiritual joy you know and i just don't i just don't understand somebody that that can't release themselves to that you know but then again you look at you know religion which keeps forcing down your throat that oh it's about procreation i think it i think it is religion i think it absolutely has to do with people not enjoying intimacy not enjoying connectedness and sexuality not 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 having like beautiful blessed immaculate sexual events is all about religion it's exactly that and which goes all the way back to white supremacy and domination yes but the lack of freedom in so many different areas the lack to be able to express ourselves Mm. as human beings is is, it goes all the way back to that white supremacist colonizing mentality 
And that is why I feel like this, when we talk about white supremacy, when we talk about colonization, when we talk about these things, we have to talk about the religion and spirituality of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally agree with you. And, you know, for because my work is is um, purely on on sexual orientation and gender identity, you know, people do kind of feel that, you know, I'm, I'm a bit obsessed by it. And in a sense, I'm very keen on the subject, you know, and I do I do try to to not dull that point, you know, you know, when 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 you see a lot of queer activism, particularly global north, white, polite, queer ad, uh, advocacy, it's all, oh, we're just like you, oh, we're just the same. I'm just like, no, we're not. No. I like being queer. I like being different, you know, and that should be celebrated. And to try to mimic heteronormative ideals, you know, this idea of, oh, we want um, equal marriage and, and you know, adoption rights. And, you know, if that's what you want, great. If that's a family that you want to build, great. It's not the family that I want to build. You know, um, the, I come from, you know, a, a home of 15 children. My father had 15 children. So, you know, my, I know um, he was a busy guy. Um, <laughs> so Catholic. <laughs> so I have no desire to 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 have children or to have that kind of family unit or to create that kind of you know picket fence white picket fence with 2.5 children it's not my thing and i love the fact that my queer family is what i have created and it's a family that i love and i trust and 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 feeds and nurtures me so I just think that what we have to look at, especially as we move forward 50 years on from Stonewall, is number one, we have to face the failures. We have failed as a community to integrate within ourselves. Amen. (laughs) So over the last 50 years, for us to be in an internal civil war on trans issues is a nightmare. It shows that there's been a failure in our leadership. And the failure in our leadership has been because the leaderships have all been mainly white, cisgender, gay and lesbian, middle class, tertiary educated people. And they come to this work coming from the space of, well, that's what I had with my family. So I'm going to mimic that for my queer family because they don't know anything else. And they also don't have, you know, when you look at, okay, I'm not going to call any names, but if you look at any of the leadership of the Global North LGBT organizations, right? And then look at their social media photographs. You'll see them on holiday in Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. And there is not a black or brown face or trans face within their social network. So they do this work supposedly for our community, but in their social life, it's all very pale and very stale. And I don't want you making decisions for me as a queer man of color because you don't know who I am. You don't even take me on holiday with you. Mm-hmm. you know? So how can you be making decisions for my life when you don't know who I am and you have no personal experience of my life? So these, these are the issues. You know, the first person of color to lead a Global North LGBT organization, Phil Opoku, who now runs Kaleidoscope Trust, she got into that position two years ago. First person of color to lead an international LGBT organization. First time. That is just unbelievable. You know, it's, uh, uh, 
I, I think about all the work that I've done since I came out in 1999. And the fact that you and I are sitting here in 2023, and we're even saying that the first person of color running an international LGBT organization just happened. Yeah. It's just really. And behind her was oh, Marie, so Marie at um, COC in, in uh -huh. the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just like, what what is going on? Where are Where is the diversity within the leadership of our LGBT community? You don't well, see they're not, it. They're not allowed, right? Yeah. We're I mean, not allowed. We're not allowed, <laughs> Jason. We're not allowed. But I, exactly. I think that integration is so important. Like that, that you were talking about how we have failed as a community to integrate, and that integration. I think the yes. the coming together is one of the things that is gravely missing. Yes. Um, in the community. Yeah. Um, as we're getting ready to wrap up this amazing conversation, which I just am so just so grateful for i'm so happy you have wandered into my world i'm just so thrilled about it <laughs> same here. Um, um what what would your message be to the people so a lot of the people that listen to my podcast aren't members of the lgbt community um but they are a lot of people who have struggled and who have wrestled with who they are at the core of their soul and yes. and i'm wondering um what is some wisdom or some knowledge that you would like to to just whether it has to do with with personal expansion or um what do you want people to know as we're exiting out of this conversation um well you know when i when i started the journey of the decriminalization case in Trinidad. I mean, I, I won't go into the specifics of the of the legal stuff surrounding it, which is, you know, quite, quite intriguing. Um, but the main thing was, you know, here was this guy taking an entire country to court on his own, right? And for most people, that just seems impossible to do. And you know, for me, when I took on the journey, it was really a case of seek, searching within myself to say, you know, are you the person for this? You know, and that internal conversation, I think we need to have more of. And it's not just about, you know, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your career? What are you going to do with, with your family, you know, connections, etc. It's an ongoing conversation that you need to have with yourself, you know, and it's a two-way conversation. I know it sounds crazy to people, but you know, if you ask yourself a question out out loud, then you know you have to answer it. So it is a back and forth that you have to have within your within your own self conversations, and these self conversations, these investigations into yourself, as you grow and as your life moves forward, or even if you're in a stale place, or if your life is moving backwards, you know, having those conversations is where the clarity comes from. And it's where you can decide how to move forward in, a, in, 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 in this world. So find those spaces, switch off your phone, switch off your tablet, switch off all the stuff. You know, if, if, uh, if going to church is, is a good space for you to have that, that internal quiet time, but just find a space for that quiet to be able to be able to speak to yourself. 
And speaking with yourself, I think, is the most powerful tool in, well, definitely my arsenal. It's the most powerful tool in my arsenal to, to you know, get things done. I love that so much. I love that so much. There's definitely two places I go to get that quiet. One is to, even if I'm in a city, to just get to a park, to get to a green space, to touch yes. a tree. Yes. Right? Yes. Or to church. Like, ironically, like, I'm like, I, I think it's so weird. I even like going to church. I think it's the most bizarre thing ever. Jason, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, if people want to follow your journey, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, on all social media, my handle is T-R-I-N-I-J-A-Y-J-A-Y, Trini J-J. That's on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> I've just gotten into TikTok. Um, I love TikTok. Yeah, you know. I'm going to go uh, follow you. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much for this conversation. You are so beautiful you. and I love you so much. Um, well, everybody in Scotland in July. I know, I can't wait to see you in Scotland yeah, in July. It's I'm very excited. Great. Um, uh, don't forget everybody to go to my website at www.drmelissabird.com and check out my latest events that are coming up. I have some really incredible, um, events coming up and I'd love for you to join me, Jason. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Melissa. And, uh, wishing everybody a powerful spiritual journey. this episode as much as I did. Please share it with your best friend on the planet. If you are loving this podcast and want to connect more, head on over to my website at www.drmelissabird.com and sign up for my free workshop, The Five Tributaries of Perfection, The Lies We Tell Ourselves. Don't forget to add me at birdgirl1001 on all the socials for daily doses of love, magic, and inspiration. And I'll see you soon.